Please be aware that this podcast features some language that some listeners may find offensive. Welcome to the Mag Debrief podcast, the first of a brand new calendar year, not of course a new school year. Uh, we are joined as always by Dan Worth. Hi Dan. Hello. And Gwanya Hallahan. Hello. And I have a new job. I am now editor of Tez. So um we'll be coming to that a bit later um dan's made already made a passive aggressive choice of feature for this week's podcast so we'll, we'll get to that shortly but uh let's get started this week's feature is all about the tricky topic of swearing and how we deal with it with students and it's so it's it's a fascinating feature because it goes into the history of swear words you've got lots of stories lots of facts in there if you're the sort of person that enjoys hearing about where words come from this is the feature for you so it give you a little taste of some of the things in there henry our scottish ed, uh, the editor for us the scotland tez he talks about where different swear words come from and where our discomfort around swearing originates in and there's some really interesting little facts in there like for example um in dutch words like typhoid and cancer are considered swear words whereas in english obviously it's not you mean you might call somebody cancerous as an insult i suppose but that's it's not really like an everyday kind of swear word or controversial word that we have have in our language and he talks about that, there's that sort of age old thing with swearing, like if somebody just says a swear word at the end of every word, it was effing this and effing that, perhaps that just means they've got a bit of a limited vocabulary and it is an important thing to talk about with children because if you don't talk to your students about it, all they're going to do is copy their friends and learn from their, their peers and perhaps learn some unhelpful and actually when we think about what we're preparing our students for to go into the work the the adult world we're not properly preparing them to deal with more adult relationships and how to conduct more adult conversations so it's suggesting the the piece that perhaps we need to deal with it head on like don't pretend that it doesn't exist and that these are just bad words that are used by bad people actually what we need to do is talk about why we swear what swearing means and and he um, he also <laughs> suggests to some some teachers, you know, do you think it's worth doing a whole topic on this, a whole unit? And generally, the consensus was that perhaps that wasn't such a great idea, but that when it comes up in the course of teaching, for example, as an English text, that you know it's worth talking about. And when it arises naturally in the classroom, it's not something you should just shut the door on and brush under the carpet you need to tackle it for the for the good of your students. It doesn't do them any favours by pretending that swearing doesn't exist. So that's, I, I'd managed to do that without a single swear word. I, yes, I, I could see the pain on your face, actually. <laughs> you were really trying not to throw a few uh, F-bombs in there. It was I mean, quite no, disappointing. It... I thought you were going to. <laughs> just, you know, <laughs> just, just, just basically ruin our readership sensitive ears just in this, uh, this yeah. post-Christmas malaise. Um, <laughs> I think I think the thing with this feature is it deals with almost the last taboo. We all think we, you know, we swear a lot in our own time. Well, I do uh, in our own lives, in our heads, you know, when we get hurt, when we're frustrated. I think every teacher must have sworn continuously at government policy during the last three months. But, you know, saying it in you have to be, you know, I still find myself, you know, if, if, if I absentmindedly drop a cuss into a sentence with someone new, it's, it's quite 
I think, oh, what's their reaction going to be? Because there is that you don't know people's sensitivities and some people don't swear at all. Some people swear words are other people's mild words. You yeah. Know? And that, that's something. And I think the, the thing with this feature is that it's saying, you know, yes, your behavior policy says if you if you throw out, you know, let's let's warning, if you throw out a fuck or a shit or one of those into your into the classroom, if a pupil does, sorry, then then that should be a, a you know, there should be a sanction for that. What what this this feature is saying is, you know, is that really helpful? You know, is punishment and not education, you know, what we're about here? And actually, should we try and break down the reasons for using those words? And that's quite tough, I imagine, because in the in the uh, environment of a classroom, if a if a student does throw out a swear word, I mean, you you've been in the classroom, Gronya. Is is that not seen as a, as a challenge to your authority? Oh, yeah, definitely. And I'm thinking now of all the times I've had students swear at me and that the, what all teachers listening to this will be thinking, it's that they, the, the, the get out clause that a lot of students will say is like, I didn't swear at you. I was just swearing like at the situation. So it's that classic, like if someone tells you to just, uh, and, uh, apologies, if someone says fuck off and tells you to fuck off, it's different to just saying, oh, fuck. Does that make sense? Yeah. And there's the, the sanctions for that are totally different. If you swear at a teacher versus just swearing in a classroom, completely different. But the, the feature makes the point, doesn't it, that we're, we're very comfortable with uh, emotion. We're very comfortable with other expressions of frustration. It's just words that we have a problem with. And that really did make me think, because actually, if 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 someone is at a level of frustration, I mean, it's context dependent. If someone's just challenging your authority, I, I'd like to think most teachers would spot it. But when a, a pupil is genuinely frustrated or upset or angry. Yeah, the thing that's the problem's already happened, hasn't it? The swearing mm. comes normally after the issue, if that makes sense. So yeah. if you've got a, some, a student who's kicked off because um, you've told them to move. I'm, I'm thinking of a specific example now for my own teaching. <laughs> a child hasn't appreciated you telling them they can't do what they continue to do to the student next to them. And then they call you and they, they, they swear at you. Then they've already, you've already got the problem that's happened before that. The swearing is just like a nice little cherry on top. Would you, would you address the swearing as a separate thing in that instance though? Would you say, A, you were doing something bad no. and you didn't stop? No. See, see, that's interesting because I would have thought you would. I would have thought you'd say, and your language was inappropriate as well, and you shouldn't be talking about that in the classroom sort of mindset. Oh, I see what you mean. Like, it, it's, it's the stages of it, though, isn't it? So at the time, you're just addressing what's happened there and then. All the other stuff is sorted out afterwards when you take the audience away. A yeah, lot of the yeah. time when kids swear, it's some of it is um, not wanting to lose face. And... Um, and in the piece, Henry does go through the different types of swear, like the different categories of swear words that we have, like blasphemy, disease, excretions and orifices, sexuality and slurs. And it's that slurs, it's that that desire to try and make somebody feel like you've taken a bit of my power away. So I'm going to try and ridicule you to try and regain like face so I don't lose face in front of everybody else. And that's typical of young people. That's not a surprising thing for them to do. And you have to you take all of that into context don't you when mm. they misbehave isn't is, i mean this is i'm going to move the conversation to a slightly different area now but it's interesting that that point you made there and i thought as an english teacher you must have addressed this where the, the thing about language though is like like you said earlier is you can't pretend these words don't exist at all they are going to crop up and in english they crop up in text sometimes don't they or 
allusions to them doing Shakespeare, you know, the, the, and you actually have to say, well, actually, what, what that means is they're saying shit or something. You know, that's what he's referring <laughs> to there. I remember my old English teacher talking about, I think it was Othello. There's a scene with a clown. It's one of these light relief scenes in Othello. And the whole little joke is about, it's basically just fart jokes. And it was really <laughs> shocking to hear him say certain words around that, which, you know, but he was, the context meant it meant he sort of could say them. So that must yeah. be, what's that like yeah. when you have to There's a lovely <clears throat> bit in Juliet when Romeo and Mercutio are talking before they go to the ball and it's all about this pear and the pear's like shaped like a penis and it's a this joke and it's all about that's that is the joke mm. and I remember doing it with year eight and one boy just covering his ears and be like no this is awful I can't believe you're saying this this is dreadful and it's funny and I think I think discussing that sort of thing in a safe space and explaining why these things are funny and why it's um what why that why the audience would have found it funny and why they're finding it funny and isn't it isn't it ridiculous how we find ordinary parts of the body really really funny it's or rude i mean there's there's context <laughs> to this isn't there? i mean you know especially the body parts stuff like mm. we are we are making body parts taboo as well as the words sometimes and it's it's it's, it's this I guess I, don't, I guess different cultures as you say in the piece has uh, as, as Henry says in the piece have different views on it but and different you know, genders the, the male genders, female yeah. reactions to period blood so women ranked it less offensive than semen but men had it up as a third most offensive one I mean this is the problem <laughs> isn't it like it's so context dependent and it, it's so it's so different for different people and I think if you're you know, we talk a lot about preparing kids for adult life. And if in your context, certain words are acceptable, certain words are not, and you're never told why, you're just told, well, that, that word, you can't mm. say that. Well, I say it at home. So, you know, there, there's a, there's a, there has to be a recognition, I think, that as exactly what you say, that people see things in different ways. You know, you're telling me that, or, you know, loads of swear words are, are bad. Yeah, I'm reading train spotting and it is, it's littered. And yet you're saying this is a text worthy of of study. And so you're there going as a kid, I reckon, going, well, what the hell's going on? And I mean, you studied yeah. that when you were at six. <clears throat> you understand that there's a time and a place and there's, there's, there's areas of your life where it's OK to use certain sort of more colourful language than it is to use more sort of standard. Yeah. I mean, you wouldn't turn up to a job interview and start swearing in a job interview. But is that, is that a good point, though, that you, you do that if you you should, in a form, teach that, that social use of swearing. And in some ways, that's what the feature sort of touched on, doesn't it? Is that yeah. if you don't teach swearing, shall we say, then they'll, you almost invariably will get it wrong when you get older. And there is a sort of different class levels almost, isn't there, of swearing? And like a middle-class yeah. person can say, oh, fuck it, you know, like Hugh Grant might say, it, and it's kind of charming. And if someone else yeah. says it, in a different, it's, it's, oh, how uncouth. But it's like a language it's a thing it's to learn and again like most things in life you don't really get a chance to learn it particularly well once you leave school or you have to learn it through social mm. constructs which is much harder if you don't end up or through embarrassment like yeah. i remember working for it i won't say where the job was but i was quite young and they all thought i was really posh despite my accent because i didn't swear as much as them i mean they were like i'll go give me a fucking paper give me a fucking that everything was fucking fucking mm. this and fucking that and i was like shit like also i just said shit in, on, <laughs> on a podcast see now I've, I've dropped into it which is you know they had a perception of me as this really posh person and it was a really embarrassing like lesson to be in mm. a very well let, I'll, I'll be honest it was a very male environment and it was incredibly uh intimidating not to not to speak their the language that was the you know the go-to in that in that space and 
you know we have to be aware that you know this is what some of some of the students will 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 be in and you can't say that that's bad like i think we, you know i think it's touched on the feature that this isn't a case of talking down someone's you know natural way of speaking it, it's an education process that there are different ways of speaking it's something professor ian cushing who's written a lot about it's you know there's acceptable forms in different contexts and i think that's where the feature sort of heads in the end yeah definitely and i think it must for a teacher as well that the, the a teacher swearing ultimately is, is must be the most shocking thing a pupil can hear. Yeah. But then when it's done right, it must really have impact. And I actually, it's a good story. I always remember we were studying um, To His Coy Mistress by Andrew Marvell. And mm. my English teacher, who was a very, very good teacher, um, we were talking about it. And she was trying to get actually, a bunch of sort of 14 year old kids to understand this poem. And she basically said something like, Look, and all he's trying to say is he's saying, Look, we've got all, if we had all the time in the world, I'd tell you how wonderful you are, but we don't. So we just need to get on and, and fuck, basically. And her saying that was so <laughs> shocking. But it really worked because it suddenly, I, I can remember it now. And I remember the sort of sense of, oh, these are real people back 500 okay. years ago. And he kind of was just being a bit like, he just wanted to get, you know, get off of her. And her saying that cut through all the kind of polite words she could have used or anything like that. And it was a really good example of, that's when a word like that has merit and meaning and it works. And she never swore again, never was one before that. But I, I I'm, hope I'm right remembering it, that's how it went. But it was so sort of impactful. And I guess, I don't know if you ever did it, Gronya, but I can imagine that yeah, some, yeah. sometimes it just works. I in past experience, poem. I think Gronya must have been dropping F-bombs all the time in her <laughs> classrooms. <laughs> no, I never did. Um, <laughs> um, oh, I did a good story then. So the, I, I've done the same poem and that is exactly what, what you're trying to get across when you teach that poem. And mm. it's, it, it really does encompass like what, what the main message is about. I also remember in the early years of my teaching career when I taught drama really badly and talking and the kids always wanted to swear in their drama pieces. Like it's fine, it's, it's a performance. Mm. You're not allowed to do it. And we would talk about how, um, I remember doing a lesson about Mary Whitehouse and all the, the number, they would count the number of swear words. Like in when you watch it on TV, it's not, someone's actually sat and thought about that. They don't do it without real careful planning and consideration and I would always point out that EastEnders that no one ever swears and the kids would be like oh my god they don't they don't I've swear. never thought of that actually hmm. this is crazy and, that, um, that is that should have swears in it definitely yeah yeah but nobody ever swears in EastEnders and it's 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 just interesting I, th I, I enjoy talking to, to students about it because they like being able to use the words in a discussion about swearing that they couldn't use ordinarily and they, they get a little bit of a thrill but after a while that novelty wears off and you can just actually have an interesting discussion well i hope everyone reading it will also have interesting discussions and i hope you know even those more offended by by swearing will see the value in discussing it now i guess the last thing to say about this feature is that it's fucking brilliant okay so feature two we're going to focus on this week is one I'm going to explain and, and talk about because it's because it, it's interesting to me that you know for a long time education you know the the narrative around education was of being tech averse and you know tech as a distraction to teaching and yet in the past year we've seen tech move to the forefront of teaching and you know become a central part of it and at the same time we've seen tools like Alexa 
and um, some of the others that I should probably mention for for neutrality, but I can't remember any of the other names of them. But these these voice these voice boxes where you can say, you know, I've run out of salad, buy me some salad, Alexa, or something like that, and it goes and orders your salad for you. You know, AI software that's voice recognition has risen up as well. And what we've got Simon Creasy to look at for this feature is, okay, you've got AI, which is, you know, essentially an intuitive system. You know, there's so many transcription uh, softwares out there now. Could you use AI to do one-to-one reading training for kids you know in your average classroom you've got 30 kids you've got one teacher one ta if you're lucky one-to-one teaching of of reading is really difficult could alexa teach reading essentially and the feature explores the fact that there are some products out there that are trying to do this and they believe that do this effectively they have a sort of karaoke approach where you know the, the child reads the book the the software analyzes that and you know if they get a word wrong it flashes red and then at the end they don't interrupt the, te- the the reader but at the end it says these are the words you got wrong repeat after me and it repeats the words and you know they're, they're claiming that this is a really good way of providing one-to-one tuition around reading Obviously, that's hugely controversial, and because reading is so complex. I mean, if reading was easy to teach, um, we wouldn't spend most of primary school and some of secondary school doing it. Um, and the teachers in the piece say, "Yes, that's an interesting prospect, but actually, it's more than just analysing a wrong said word. You know, there's very many reasons why that word might be said wrong. There's very many reasons why, you know, even if you've got a hundred percent on that." on that reading it wouldn't actually be 100 percent if a teacher had done that assessment so where the feature gets to essentially is that maybe there is a role for ai but in just a formative assessment sense where you know let's have a quick check of this child's reading and then the teacher can become involved but obviously i'll throw it out to you two the idea of a computer teaching your child to read i mean is that horrendous well i i don't i mean i'm not in a position where i can talk about this with direct experience but to my mind, the lot in the future made a lot of sense. And I think it's the danger we have with all these things around technology, though, is that we kind of imagine this future of robots in the classroom, no teachers involved, and everything just being done in this kind of like robotic hellscape of children just, you know, engaging with a screen and nothing else. And I think hellscape. reality is, I like that, Dan. Reality is, is much more like what would happen is you'd have this system in place to complement a teacher, to back it up, um, to offer another way of assessing, like you said. So you set the class a task and you go around, but they're all getting proper feedback from these machines they're talking to or the software or whatever, at whatever stage in the education journey. And the, the, the insights that could provide, the feedback and all that could definitely help. And I think the trouble is we have so much technology. It's either held up as the silver bullet to everything or it's held up as like the end of all, at the end of everything. And really, like most technology in our lives, it's, it finds a little niche and it might not work in every setting for every pupil. But personally, I do think all these things ha- will have a role to play but it won't be, it won't take over. It would be another tool that in the right moment makes sense to use it. And I remember when I was very young and I had this sort of, this is obviously talking in the nineties here. I had this sort of computer thing that ran on like four massive D batteries, you know, so it was a ridiculous great <laughs> plastic thing. And it was like a maths game and it, it flashed up um, maths questions, you know, four times four or whatever. And you had to type in your answer. And if you got it right, it would all go bling. And if you got it wrong, it would go, you know, like that. And you'd have to do it again. Now, I, I sort of remember that and I thought, isn't that the same thing ultimately? It's a machine that's teaching me something. If I get it wrong, it says no. And if I get it right, it, it, it says I'm right. This is just a more advanced form of that and a more sort of complex thing because obviously a math is right or wrong language and speaking obviously is much more complicated. 
but I don't see why this kind of technology wouldn't one day have a more direct role, but it'd be, still be the teacher who's choosing how to use it and when. Let's go I've, to the English teacher. I've got so many <laughs> objections to it. There we go. Me and Dan are like, <laughs> oh, this is on. a brilliant idea. <laughs> Let me consult my list. So okay. number one, when you teach a child to read, you're if you're saying that a, this little robot thing can listen to them read and then and then correct the words afterwards, you're completely forgetting the really important role that teacher has of making them pay attention and read the book in the first place. Like <laughs> you took it. Orla, the only reason Orla would sit and listen to Orla is Gonya's daughter, my, by the my way. Middle, my middle and most um, challenging child would sit. The only reason she would sit and read is because she absolutely adored her teacher. When I tried to get her to sit and listen and get her to read with me, she would want to do anything but read. She'd run around the room. She wanted to just look at the pictures. It's only because she had that really strong relationship with her teacher, who was amazing, that she was able to be taught how to read. And by saying that this, you, you're going to get kids to sit independently with a little machine and read the machine. Well, you're maybe going, all you're of not them. Supervise them. No, you're but not is... going to supervise them. You might as well get the person supervising them to do it with them, mightn't you? But what, but in that, <laughs> it's no, not. No, no, no. Let me go to the next point. Oh, so I've got I've got to rebut them all in a row. <laughs> okay. Yeah, yeah, we've got to rebut them point. all. <laughs> um, what about accents? How is this little device going to pick up different accents? Are we going to have all kids speaking the same sort of nice BBC English? Oh, how pleasant. Wouldn't that be lovely? Like little identikit. Or are we going to tailor it to move to like different regional accents and pick up different different ways of kids speaking? I love how angry you are. <laughs> this is the this for those of you who can't obviously you can't see, but she Gonya is on full rebuttal mode here. She is arms waving angry. Carry on. I like I like it. It's good. And and also, where are you going to have the space to do it? Because you, you need to have, like, you need to make sure there's no noise being interfered so the, the microphone can pick it up and pick the child reading up. So what they're going to do it in like little tiny booths, we now teachers feel about booths, that's not going to go well, is it? <laughs> so, and if where, so you're going to build these special classrooms so kids can sit in these and, and use it. It's a waste of space. Floor space is really precious in primary. Can't see it working, think it's ridiculous. Well, I, uh, I, I, yeah, that's it. well, no, I think your, your points are totally valid. And, but the anger, <laughs> I think. <laughs> but on, on your first point, I mean, that, that just in a way sort of, I would have said, well, you're, you're exactly right, though. But it, that, in that example, the teacher can then spend more time with the people who needs the focus and the, the people who likes reading is getting on with it. They can be the one who goes and works with the machine. And why do you like reading? Because you like reading to people. Well, who but do you? But, but isn't that a bit of a generalisation? Like some people might like reading for themselves you know i mean like can't you say that the, the, there's gonna be 20 kids in the class you can't say they will all have a engagement reading that's the same or, or you know i mean if you know that pupil would, would be quiet and even actually he loves reading let's let him go go on with that he's but in the reading to... corner with his headphones on reading and then after he's fine. The, yeah the teacher comes back and looks at the kind of score and the machine goes you know it read the book he read the book really well but he missed up this word this word and then the teacher can go oh I, you know friendly reading robot told me that you you know you you didn't say the word house correctly i don't know and and that you can work on it and now i again i'm not kind of here is to advocate for big ai quite the opposite but i just think you know that's, mind that strikes me that you could you could child who doesn't benefit from human react interactions that might benefit from this technology you've fallen into the trap there of, of seeing this as an either or that child will still be having um mm. Interaction but it's one less, isn't it? It's one less because he's got one with a computer. Do they not have enough interaction with tech already? 
Do you not think though that some in some classrooms some kids get less interaction from a teacher because they are uh, in need of less assistance? So there is already a discrepancy in the amount of ten- attention of people. We get. don't we don't put them in headphones in a corner to talk to a robot, do we? Okay. What do we do with them? Yeah, what do they we just do? sit in the class and they just sit with their mates. Well, so maybe they <laughs> would do better with the robot. But the other thing is your your point about accents is interesting because I think AI technology would get to the point where it would understand any accent but I, in terms of receiving the voice, but I grant you that the trouble would be is if the machine said, no, that's pronounced house or, or bath rather than, you know, bath, bath and bath, yeah. That's wrong because then it's like how you have to sort of program in or teach it the Northern variation. But then again, that's what I think is that those, that's only going to be one. Um, Imagine a little Essex cool thing. one. Yes, that's right. Water. <laughs> <laughs> But the, the, I mean, there is a point there in um, it being in... used in homes where perhaps you've got parents that aren't able to to read themselves or for different reasons aren't able to sit and do it with the children. Then I would accept its use. Oh, she's conceded a point. There is and a, also there... we already have these things in our home, I mean, and they're, parents and in... well, yeah, parents and pupils and children are already getting this voice. This you know. Alexa voice in their houses already. So everyone's being slowly, and there's, there's already people talking about this saying it's it erode, it's telling, it's teaching people at all ages what a correct accent is, you know, and obviously that's a slightly mm-hmm. sort of, mm-hmm. I'm not saying I agree with that. I'm just, that's what people claim, but it's true, isn't it? And in fact, my wife and I, we, you know, we have a Google home and she has a, um, my wife has a Yorkshire accent and it genuinely, we, we laugh and it doesn't understand her sometimes because it's mm-hmm. like, it doesn't hear, I mean, I ask it to do something, it just does it. And, and she'll ask and it does it. And it's like, it's just probably because of the accent thing is not, cutting through to google system so much you know on the um sat navs you can pick your celebrity voice oh yeah, yeah who would you want to teach you reading if you could pick a celebrity voice <laughs> oh. that's a good question i mean i'd quite ian like McKellen. To- yes i mean i was gonna go for patrick stewart or ian mckellen i mean but again yeah, is that just- telling is that showing something about us that it's a bit like i like how dawn, predictable dawn french's voice i think dawn french has a lovely voice dawn oh, she's very cheery isn't that's she? a nice choice yeah. i guess you've got to think about who you want teaching you as a five-year-old and mm. yeah. my would. five-year-old would like Jay from Ninjago teaching him how mm. to read. I'm pretty sure. Oh, uh, we've got this dreadful toy. It, my brother bought it for me and I'm sure it's because he doesn't like me. And um, it's called a tumble tap and it's, it hasn't got an off button. If you're thinking <laughs> of a gift for somebody in your life, you just really want to wind up, get this gift. And it's got the alphabet and you press the, the it's got, the, you press the A and goes, ah, is for apple and then it goes through and then it will you can set it on different things and yeah but the it's got mr tumble's voice and mr tumble they love mr tumble so they love mr tumble that guy is like kids love him don't they my friend interviewed him and we've gone we've gone gone well off piece here haven't we actually ai has taken us into (laughs) all the way to mr tumble we've gone from the most digital uh, form of of technology all the way to I'm sorry Mr Tumble you're quite analog um, <laughs> so that's okay. who I'd have I'd have Mr Tumble teaching them to read it's got a lovely well, exactly so I think I think that that was a very good discussion again another discursive piece for um for from a Tez article and I hope I hope we get some feedback on that one too. So let's get to Dan's uh, passive-aggressive message to me. Uh, take it away, Dan. Yeah, well, I, I didn't choose this as a message to you, John. Not everything's about you. Um, this is a... <laughs> See, I've already fallen foul of it. <laughs> <laughs> this is a piece about 
uh, what it's called about, it's about dictators and not being a dictator in school and, and you know, leaders that do work as dictators. And it, and it touches on why this piece is good because it talks about why a dictator can make sense. Someone who comes in and just says, right, this is what we're doing and we're going to do it. And there's no questions asked and we get on with it. And it sort of says that can work for a time and in the right setting and the right time in context of a school, maybe that helps, but it's a very short-lived gain. And it talks about why leaders, whether that's someone who's long-term leader or on the way up to leadership or thinking about it for 10 years time when they reckon that's where they'll be in their career. That's not really a kind of long-term strategy for being a leader. And there's a really good point that I just thought really wanted to pull out of this piece where he talks about the problem. One reason problem with that kind of leader is that when they're around, everyone works especially hard or, or you know, or at least looks like they are. But when this person goes away on holiday or for whatever reason, everyone goes, Oh, thank God they're gone and slows down and their product- productivity drops. And I've, you know, I have I, unquestionably, I've worked at places with that mindset. And actually, when you put it like that, you think, yeah, that's really damaging, isn't it? Because a leader shouldn't leave and everyone stops working. It should be like the leader leaves and everyone sort of just carries on because they know what they're doing. And there's a collaborative, like we like working here kind of atmosphere. And um, yeah, I, so yeah, it wasn't a choice of you, John, but I just think it makes a good point. And I think that's something that, you know, everyone in any sort of leadership role, even if it's not a senior leader role, but maybe you manage one person, you know, you're in your team, at, in your school or wherever, you you have a little sub team, you know, and you're the leader of it. It's like, well, don't be a dictator because then in the short term, you might get results. It won't, it won't work long term. I think that that you pull it out really nicely there. That the the piece was much more nuanced than I expected when it came in. It was exactly as you say. There are conditions where people look for dictatorship, and that sound. You know, we're not talking, you know, dictatorships of history where you know millions of people have died. You know, this is something different. It's a style of leadership that is undemocratic in in a school context that we're looking at specifically. And the fact that in some conditions people look for that leader. And then the leader has to recognize when that moment is over. And that's such a subtle, you know, I guess it's a, it's an ability to read people and situations. And what struck me was, I wonder whether that is natural, whether that is learnt, whether it's a bit of both. Are some people intuitively just better at reading the room? Yeah, I, 100%. I think you can't teach um, that emotional intelligence, we'll call it. Now, obviously, emotional intelligence can be improved if you've got, got it, but I... Um, I, I think some people just don't have the ability to read people and they don't recognize that different people need different management styles, different tactics, different styles. Some people like a dictator. They like being told, just do that. And they're like, it's simple to them. It's like, great. I know what I've got to do. Some people like that and others don't. And you've got to recognize which do and which don't. And I, again, I've, I've known people who, who just had one style and it was a disaster and people left people, you know, just, oh, I'm not working here because this person doesn't, engage with me as a person and my ideas they just say no da, 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 da. and after a while you think well there's no joy here i also think after reading the article it makes you realize how exhausting it must be to be that dictator to mm. be that person with yeah 100 on you and in terms of like work-life balance and and being able to relax and switch off it must be really difficult and i was thinking like you know why these dictatorships like come about and it's that lack of having a supportive team and if you get put into a situation where your team's very inexperienced and you're a middle leader and you haven't got anyone that you can you can lean on you haven't got anybody there to support you then that sort of dictatorship happens by accident and you sort of fall into the pattern and then perhaps the team changes and there are more experienced people but you're so used to having that that power that you you don't want to relinquish it and Mm. it's sometimes it's bad habits isn't it and insecurity i think i think if you're used to you know as as a leader i think you have all the responsibility on you you know Mm -hmm. ultimately if something goes wrong it's going to end up at your door and Mm -hmm. that can 
require an extremely high amount of trust to yeah. to let that go and it, it will take time to to manifest as well so you might see in the first few months of giving that trust that things go quite wrong mm-hmm. and um i think it's it's definitely what i'm trying to say is it's tough for head teachers i think that oh yeah that, i mean the accountability at the moment yeah. is just crazy that's yeah that's it. and you can see why they end up sometimes feeling like i've got to take responsibility for everything because if i don't something goes wrong it's my it's my you know job on the line which under- also, is understandable in yeah. moments but i think it's the longer to be that this piece to such a good sort of point of saying yes makes sense maybe not necessarily the wrong thing to do at some point but you can't do it forever yeah so that's all we have for this episode. Uh, we have a big year ahead of us in education, a calendar year. I'm not saying it's an academic year again, because I don't want the letters. Um, but we will keep doing this podcast throughout. And if you'd like us to discuss anything, or if you're a regular listener and you might even want to come on, should we open it up to guests? We should, shouldn't Definitely, we? If yeah. you'd like to come on to the podcast, can you at one of us on Twitter or send us an email? Our, 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 our emails are just our names, you know, first name dot second name at tes.com. And yeah, we will try and get some teachers on this year. I think that'd be really good. And that's all. We'll see you next week. If you enjoyed listening to this week's issue of the magazine Debrief podcast and want to read more of Tez magazine online and have it delivered to your door, subscribe now at tez.com forward slash store.